Hey everybody, welcome to the Cross Stands. I'm Father Bryce coming to you from Morgan City, Louisiana, along with Jennifer Ely. As we continue to uh, talk about the sacred scripture, as we walk through the catechism of the Catholic Church and ask the question, uh, what do we believe? And, and in most cases, why do we believe it? So uh, we said last time that the three criteria for inclusion in the canon of scripture was, uh, for the New Testament in particular, was apostolicity, orthodoxy, and liturgy, that it had some roots in the apostolic preaching, either directly from the apostles or from those who knew the apostles, that it was orthodox, in other words, that it was true, that it was what the Lord Jesus taught, and number three, that it was uh, prayed, it was used in the liturgy, in the public worship of the church. So, but that doesn't answer the question that how did all these books get together? Not, not only the books from the New Testament, uh, the 27 of them, but also the 46 books from the Old Testament. So I would like to simply uh, present to you the timeline of how the Bible came together uh, from uh, from actually one of my favorite classes in the seminary uh, taught by Dr. Petrie. So I'm taking Dr. Brand Petrie's notes uh, for this. Check out Catholic Productions if you want to know more uh, from doc- if you want to hear more from Dr. Petrie. And so here's what happened. Somewhere between like uh, 1500 and 150 BC, the books of the Old Testament are written over the course of 1500-ish years. Uh, the old books of the Old Testament are divided into three categories in the Jewish reckoning. The law, or in Hebrew Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The five books of Moses. The prophets, uh, Nevi'im in Hebrew, which includes the historical books like First and Second uh, Samuel, First and Second Kings, and so forth. Chronicles. Uh, uh, I think Chronicles is in there. Uh, that's not important for now. And then number three, the writings. Other writings such as uh, and that's in Hebrew, in case you're interested, the Ketuvim. These writings like um, Wisdom of Solomon. Um, were the Psalms in there? I think the Psalms were part of the writings and uh, so forth. So those were came together uh, between 1500 and 150 B.C. Then somewhere around uh, 250 B.C., uh, the king of Egypt, King Ptolemy, uh, got the Hebrews together, or at least some of them, to make a translation from Hebrew into Greek. And from that uh, translate, from that effort, uh, we get the Septuagint. The tradition says that it was uh, translated by seventy elders and Septuagint. Septuagint is uh, Greek for seventy or seventieth, and so we get the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It seems that that went through various editions and things, but say somewhere around two fifty BC, having something to do with Jews in Egypt and perhaps King Ptolemy. Um, we got the the Bible, translated into uh, the language where more people could understand it. As this happens over and over again, it's a common theme. We get the Bible from the original language translated into a common language where people uh, who are speaking at the time can understand it. All right, so all the books of the Old Testament are written by the time of Jesus. Uh, However, at the time of Jesus, around 30 AD, people disagreed as to which books were actually inspired by the Holy Spirit, which books were actually Scripture. So the Sadducees and the Samaritans said there were only five books inspired by the Holy Spirit, the five books of Moses, the Torah that we talked about earlier. The Pharisees says there were 22 books. Uh, a, a book that's not scriptural called Fourth Ezra said there were 94 books. And the Essenes living out in the desert, well, we don't know how many books they thought there were because there were some public and there were some secret and it's all very confusing. So <laughs> there, there was no uh, closed canon. The, the canon was open, I guess. Nobody had said, all right, 
here's which books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and here's which ones are not. And one of the reasons for that is because, well, nobody, who had the authority to do that? But Jesus comes along, and this is the situation uh, where, where Jesus is in. And then after Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection, then we start, the Christians start writing. Paul, Paul writes his letters, and there are other letters, Peter and James and Jude and so forth, John. There, the, the Gospels get to be written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John again. And so in, from about 30 to about 100 A.D., these books of the New Testament are being written, and, um, and, and, and that's, that's really it. In, in the liturgy, where St. Justin Martyr tells us, like when they would gather to say Mass on Sundays, they would read the memoirs of the Apostles. But there's still no like no official list. I remember the story last time of Bishop Serapion. When there there was no list, they just went asked the bishop, "Is this legit or is this not legit?" And then he gave his um, he gave his approval or his disapproval, uh, whatever it may be. So between like 200 and 500 A.D., the Jewish rabbis are still debating which should be in the canon of Scripture. Is this is uh, is this book uh, supposed to be part of the scriptures? Is, is that book? What's going on? Um, they had some uh, conversation uh, or some argument around Ecclesiastes, for example, whether that should be scripture or not. So then in 382 AD uh, at, at Rome, Pope St. Damasus I closes the canon of scripture and says, look, Here's what the here's here's what the books of scripture are, and there's 46 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. There's 73 books, and there's the books you find if you open your RSV or your NAB uh, Bible Bible today. At least the RSV uh, Catholic edition. That's when the um, the books were the canon was closed. Uh, because why? Well, 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 the Pope said that that's what we're gonna do. Now, what in the world gives the Pope, Pope St. Damasus I, the authority to do that? Well, that authority is found in uh, Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus gives to Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter, who hands on that authority to the, to the popes who succeed him, he has the authority to say, all right, this is it. This is the this is the rule. Canon means like rod or rule. This is this is how this works. This is what has been revealed to us by God. Um, just to kind of interject there for a second. So when we say that this is the closed canon, uh-huh. um, we've obviously had things in years um, following Pope Damasus' um, decision to you know from from his uh, authority to to close the canon. Mm-hmm. We've had. I don't want to say, I don't know if, if revelation is the right word, but we've had um, further um, apparitions. We've had mm-hmm. further messages from <clears throat> from the Blessed Virgin Mary, from Jesus himself to like St. Faustina, um, that have been uh, corroborated by the church as, as true, as real, as, uh, as um, actual revelations of, of God himself um, or of the Blessed Virgin Mary. How do we kind of marry that understanding now mm-hmm. of these um, these newer revelations um, to what we see as a closed canon mm-hmm. of Scripture? Well, uh, Saint John says in his in his letters to test the spirits to know if they are from God, because even the devil and his angels can disguise themselves as an angel of light. So anytime there's an apparition, there's messages that purport to be from heaven, those are submitted uh, to the judgment of the church. 
And how does the church determine whether these uh, apparitions are um, are legitimate or not? Well, the first criteria is: Do they uh, are they in accord with, or do they contradict the scriptures? Right? And are they in accord with, or do they contradict the teaching of the church, the tradition? Well, think back to Bishop Serapion and the Gospel of Peter. Right? All right, it seems legit. But it looked like it was from Peter, but clearly it's not because it contradicts what has been handed down. So any uh, private revelation, that, that you had the right word, revelation is different between public revelation and private revelation. Well, any of these private revelations, uh, if they're meant to build up the faith, to help people to become saints uh, in a particular situation and in a particular time, uh, in in the Americas a few hundred years ago with Our Lady Guadalupe. And, well, really probably all the world at Fatima, Our Lady's messages um, at Fatima a um, hundred years ago. Um, so there at, is St. Faustina. When Jesus appears to Faustina, he talks about this being a particular time for emphasis on divine mercy. So the apparitions, they give particular applications of the scripture tradition. They give particular emphasis for a certain time or a certain region um, in, the, in the world or in the history of the world and the church and, and open up, help break open the scriptures for us. And I'm glad you paused me too uh, because I did forget to say something else. <laughs> that uh, It's not that Pope St. Damas has just like said, here it is. Yeah. It needed the Pope's authority because... Jesus gave the authority to the Pope in Matthew 16, 18, but he gathered like a whole bunch of bishops together. Mm. And in the decree of the Council of Rome, it's called, I'll read just a little tiny piece to you. It says, Now indeed we must treat of the divine scriptures, what the universal Catholic Church accepts and what she ought to shun. And then it goes on and lists the 46 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New so it's not that Saint uh, Pope Saint Damasus was just sitting in his you know chair one day and said, "This is it." Um, <laughs> but they had the council and they got together and it was clear that the whole Catholic Church. Notice what the Universal Catholic Church accepts. What does the word Catholic mean? Universal. So like what the oh, whole gosh. whole church, the whole whole church uh, accepts and what she ought to shun. Now I know what my students feel like when what? I when I shout at them in the beginning of class. What does Catholic mean? Oh, and they all just look at me like deer in the headlights. Now, well, I know, now I know. Now, now I've you, suffered their suffering. Now you um, got it. Um, so in, in light of that, we, we know we have certain texts that do still exist um, that we would call, is it, am I using the word, the word right, apocryphal texts? Uh, you, that is a word. Wait, <laughs> tell, say more. Well, just um, these, are some of the, these are some of the texts that we know exists that are not um, part of the canon of sacred scripture. Are they... Um, are they against sacred scripture? Are they just not? Um, what what what? I guess what categorization do we use to to categorize something as, or what criteria do we use to categorize something as an apocryphal text? Mm-hmm. Um, so apocrypha is a word that um, that John Calvin started using um, to characterize. Uh, in the end, the books that he and Martin Luther took out of the Bible. Oh, great! Um, so it li- it means hidden, and it's it's just really a misnomer and okay. not um, not not a very helpful um, very helpful uh, word to use. Okay. It means hidden. However, 
because of the way Calvin used it, some people use the word apocrypha to mean, well, just what you said, something like like extra that may be helpful for like building people up and like it may be a good thing, but it's not, well, not part of it, not inspired by God. Okay. Um, because we so, hear about things like... Um, like the Gospel of Thomas, mm-hmm. let's say. Now, now we talked about the Gospel of Peter last time, and that was obviously um, not not orthodox. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I, I from time to time will hear the Gospel of Thomas come up. Now that that's also um, heterodox. That's also not part of the orthodox canon um, because of what it states, or because it came later. What what's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we know that the Gospel of Thomas was not inspired by the okay. Holy Spirit. Okay. We know that. Um, uh, there and there are other books like there the um, Enoch, mm-hmm. um, what is it, second through fourth Ezra's or something like that. The Book of Jubilees, uh, many books. Uh, the Book of Jubilees, I think, was one of the very popular books at Qumran where they wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it wasn't scripture. That's not even that's not <laughs> helpful right now. Uh, all right, so you're right. They got all these, all these other books, um, and well, we have to read those as ancient books so they might be right or they might be wrong when um i i'm reading um uh, dr petrie and dr birdsma and uh, dr kincaid i think their new book on paul Mm. and now they're very good scholars and um pretty much what they say is right but that's not scripture so as i read i have to say okay does this make sense does this uh, go well with the evidence given us from scripture is it right or is it wrong and theoretically this book that was written in 2019 or finished in 2019 is um, there may be some things right in it and there may be some things wrong in it don't so, let Dr. Peacher hear you say that I said maybe <laughs> he's may, gonna come for you <laughs> there may be um, so I, I think Dr. Peacher would admit that he's a human being who is fallible uh, he's told me he's changed his mind on stuff before <laughs> Anyway, uh, so the Gospel of Thomas, for example. Well, the Gospel of Thomas is our earliest source for the name of the Blessed Virgin Mary's parents, Joachim and Anne, mm-hmm. who uh, they have a feast day right. on the calendar. So clearly there's some stuff in the Gospel of Thomas that's right. On the other hand, uh, the Gospel of Thomas indicates that, uh, that Mary and Joseph were pretty rich. Hmm. But the Gospel of Luke, like two the real doves. gospel, yeah. right? But their offering being two turtle doves, that was the, in, in the presentation, which was celebrated on February 2nd, which was on a Sunday this year, which is awesome, in the case <laughs> that they were poor. So it seems like that was, that, that's contradictory. Right, okay. Um, so that's the, um, so basically we that's take... not the Gospel of Thomas. I got that all wrong. <laughs> um, um you just got overexcited. What is it from? Yeah, I did. That's from the Proto Evangelium of James. Okay. Uh, so still another one of these books that yeah, we're talking about. So. Exactly. So <laughs> the Proto Evangelium of James, which just means like the first gospel of James, it doesn't have a title, so it gets all kind of all kind of. Oh, okay. So the Proto Evangelium of James uh, has some stuff that seems to be right, and some stuff that's pretty clearly contradictory to the scripture, and therefore is wrong. The Gospel of Thomas, I think, is pretty much all wrong. Oh, good. Uh, that's 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 the difference. <laughs> got it. Okay. Um, so, um, so is this how we kind of have this discrepancy between what Protestants keep in their um, in their biblical text versus what Catholics have in the in the Catholic canon of Scripture? Because um, I'm stealing from your from your notes, um, mm-hmm. so that I sound more impressive. 
but, no, you're very <laughs> but um, you know, the Old Testament, we, we have the same number of New Testament books, mm-hmm. but the Old Testament Protestants keep 39 of the books that we have. And we have in the Catholic um, tradition, we have 46. Mm-hmm. So is that, are the apocryphal texts that you were talking about with John Calvin, um, is that where mm-hmm. that um, split lies, that, that difference in numbers? Does it lie with? With this uh, idea of like some of these are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, so they're apocryphal. Yeah, that, well, that's clear. Luther <laughs> and Calvin thought that these these seven books were, which are um, Tobit, Judith, First, Second Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, and Baruch, uh, and then parts of Esther and Daniel, you know, were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's what Luther and Calvin thought in the 1500s. Right, when they had been accepted for at least 1,200 years as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, even by St. Jerome, uh, because he was under the authority, uh, he recognized the authority of the Pope uh, as he read Matthew 16, 18. So, um, so they contended that these were not authentic. Um, so Martin Luther said, for example... Um, I hate Esther and Second Maccabees so much that I wish they did not exist. Wow. And why did he say that? He said they contain too much Judaism and no little heathen vice. Huh. So Martin Luther contended that being Jewish and having vice, uh, I, I'm not sure where he's talking about the vice. Um, if the vice in there is from the bad guys, and usually right, you yeah, see the right, bad, yeah. bad guys, but whatever. So he's saying that, hey, like these books are not, like they're not right because they're not orthodox. Okay. Now, Martin Luther was mistaken about that, but he's got orthodox. Uh, John Calvin, when he's talking about these books, he um, he's one of the things that are an argument that he uses. Calvin's very intelligent, and he makes, he makes good arguments that need to be... Um, uh, taken seriously and um, argued against. Honestly, Martin Luther's arguments are a lot like what I just told you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it Cal- John Calvin's arguments are, are quite well thought out. Um, okay. So Calvin, for example, points out that uh, Jerome wasn't too sure about these seven books either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, the argument against that is that, well, but Jerome did include the seven books right. in his translation. He was still obedient to it, the decisions of the of- the church yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly um, but he also says that quote none of these books uh, was in any way accepted by the Hebrews and their original texts are not in Hebrew but in Greek hmm. so so that's like that's Calvin's point is that well if it's from the Old Testament then it should be written in Hebrew because it, it comes from a God's God's holy people and so it's only it's only in Greek um, the problem with that is that, uh, for example, uh, Sirach was written in Hebrew, <laughs> and uh, and uh, but John Calvin didn't know that in 1540, or maybe he knew it from the um, the introduction of the editor, but he didn't have any copies. So now, so with the founding of the, I think it was one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, like we found copies of Hebrew Sirach. So um, if that's your argument. If your argument is that an Old Testament text to be inspired by God, if God had to speak Hebrew when he was writing the Old Testament or when he was inspiring the authors of the Old Testament, then that kind of falls apart because well, it's possible that all of these books were originally in Hebrew and that we have preserved for us in the providence of God the Greek the Greek editions. Uh, 
not additions, but additions. Like additions, the, yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. So then, how do we do it? How do we go through it, Father Bryce? What's uh, what's the way that a Catholic can be learning about these scriptures? Uh, what's how do we do it best? How do we dive into scripture best? Well, remember that. Remember the liturgy, right? Like the place. How could I forget? For <laughs> the place for the hearing, the processing, the digesting, the living, uh, or the receiving, I should say, of the sacred scripture is in the sacred liturgy. So, um, so, so go to mass and and listen. If it's hard to listen at mass, read the readings beforehand so that you can better listen uh, at at mass. Um, Pray for your priest to give good homilies <laughs> that explain the sacred scripture and help us to enter better into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, I, I got um, I got told not to do this uh, once, um, but I, I I think that was just a bad idea. <laughs> um, bring a notebook, mm. like bring a notebook to mass and write down one thing like that strikes you from the scripture. And then for the rest of Mass, you just pray with that one thing. Or something that I've actually found to be helpful as well, if you don't, um, if you feel like writing will distract you from what's going on, um, which happens to me a lot, is I will try to bring my missile or try to bring, um, have the readings on something that's, you know, mine. I'm not like writing in the missalettes in the church and just underline it. And once you're once mass is over, once you're kind of praying and, and processing, like we talked about last time, um, you can go back and you can see that line and you can remember why it touched you, why it um, sprang to, you know, your your attention and kind of do it that way too. Do you still use from time to time the Every Sacred Sunday journal? I, I didn't buy this new edition um, for uh, the year starting in 2019, but um, I didn't because I use um, I use the missile that someone gifted to me uh, just recently and kind of do it in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like all my all my writing is now kind of cramped into the mm-hmm. margins, um, just to kind of have it. So there's about seven thousand different ways to get <laughs> the buy, the mass readings um, in in your hand. You could buy a a hand missile. That's what they used to call them, or a, a daily. Roman Missal, they call them, and there's the readings in there. You could uh, check out these people called Every Sacred Sunday who make this beautiful like mass journal thing with all the readings in there. You could uh, go to Magnificat and get a subscription to these little these little paperback kind of book things that they send you once a month. There's all kinds of ways to get those to where you can like write in it, it's yours, underline it, uh, just, just like Jim, Jim was saying. And I'll tell you what, um, one of the things that really moved me to... Um, to realize the depths and the beauty of sacred scripture was um, starting to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. I started to pray the Liturgy of the Hours probably, oh gosh, 2012. So gosh, that was eight years ago. Um, started to pray it about 2012. And at first, you know, I was I was the type of Catholic, the type of person who said, I'll never remember this. I, you know, I have this issue with numbers. I could never be a scripture scholar because I always jumble the numbers. But the the beauty of praying these these uh, psalms, praying um, you know the, from the letters of Peter, reading from the letters of Saint Paul, over and over and over again in this cyclical way, 
Um, now I can just, you know, I can pull up these Psalms when I'm in distress, when I'm joyful. These things just kind of come to my mind. The Lord has kind of seeded my mind and my heart with almost like just exactly the right words to say in these moments of despair or in these moments of joy. Um, you know, Psalm 121, my eyes, I turn my eyes to the Lord. Um, where from where shall my help come? These sort of things that become just ingrained in your memory from that constant repetition. Amen. <laughs> so St. Jerome says that when we start reading the Bible, or if he gave somebody some advice one time, that you start by singing the Psalms, which make up the lion's share of the liturgy of the hours. So I'm going to uh, put a couple things on the resource page, uh, fatherbrice.com slash resources. It's um, fathers all spelled out, F-A-T-H-E-R-B-R-I-C.com slash resources. And uh, one is just the... St. Jerome wrote a letter to somebody a while, a long, long time ago um, with a suggested order for praying the, the Bible. And they start with uh, singing the Psalms. So I'll put that there for you if you want to get started with St. Jerome's order. Uh, secondly, on there is um, a uh, one-year Bible reading plan. There's a lots of uh, Bible in a year plans, but most of them don't have the, the seven books that Martin Luther and John Calvin took out of the Bible. So uh, this one has all of them. It's from these people called the New St. Thomas Institute. So I have a link to that um, in fatherbrice.com slash resources. And finally, um, I'm going to figure out how to put something to the to the liturgy of the hours. Uh, there's an app called iBrevery, which has all the text and stuff, makes it super easy to pray the liturgy of the hours that Jim was speaking of. And uh, I'll put some kind of link up there. We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, in on the resource page or in the show notes. Um, you always go to fatherbrice.com slash resources to see you know, all the stuff that's getting uh, that's getting piled in there for, for your help. And finally, um, just read the Bible. <laughs> I, I will leave you with a, a quote from Pope St. Leo the Great about the scriptures. He says this, The King of heaven, the Lord of the human race and of angels, has sent his letters to you so that you might live. Nevertheless, illustrious son, you neglect to read them fervently. Seek, therefore, I beg you, to meditate every day on the words of your Creator. Learn the heart of God in the words of God, so that you will long more fervently for eternal things, and so that your mind may be inflamed with greater desire for the joys of heaven. For then your rest will be so much greater. Read the King, read the letters from the King of Heaven, and learn the heart of God in the words of God.